Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Everybody loves the touchdown. Throws to the back of the end zone and it is touchdown by Holmes. The grand slam. Fly ball to center field. Ethier has done it again. It's a grand slam. The buzzer beater. Gets it to LeBron for three for the win. Yes. But how did those players get to that moment? And who built the venue and signed the contracts? We dig into the business side of sports and give you the answers. This is Sports Business Radio, powered by Postano. Now, from our studios in Portland, Oregon, with Sports Business Radio, here's your host, Brian Berger. Thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports on a global scale. We're excited to be powered by Postano. Follow them online at postano.com or on Twitter at Pistano. Speaking of Pistano, I've worked with them and put together a panel for the South by Southwest Sports Conference next March in Austin, Texas. It's a great event. Uh, I'd moderate a panel that includes executives from the Boston Red Sox, the LA Kings, and the Cleveland Cavaliers to vote for our panel, which deals with social media. Go to panelpicker.southbysouthwest.com. That's S-X-S-W.com. We'd appreciate your vote. Coming up on the show this week, Craig Pintons, who is the associate AD at the University of Oregon, the athletic department, continues to do innovative things with their uniforms with a social media hub called the Quack Cave. How are they working with our friends at Pistano to remain on the cutting edge of digital? We'll chat with Craig Pintons in our next segment. Ross Greenberg, someone I've wanted to have on the show for a long time, award-winning producer who spent 33 years at HBO. He's won 51 Emmy Awards in his career. He's the genius behind HBO's Hard Knocks and their 24-7 series. He's the producer of a new documentary that tells the story of four African-Americans who broke the color barrier in football the year before Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier in baseball. Also chat with Ross about the staggering amount of money being paid for sports TV rights, as well as his thoughts on the future of sports on TV. That's an evolving thing. That's coming up on the show today. Visit my sports business blog. Download the SBR podcast on demand. You can find all those links at sportsbusinessradio.com. You can follow us on Facebook. You can follow me on Twitter at SB Radio. I'm joined by our executive producer, Brian Griggs. Griggs, how are you? Doing great, doing great. Can't believe it's uh, almost September and football is right here. It's starting and uh, it's crazy how fast summer goes, isn't it? Oh my gosh, especially when you have kids like we do. The summer yeah. just flies by. It seems like <laughs> it just started and already it's over and I can think of about 10 things that I wish I had done this summer. And we did a lot, but, uh, yeah. you know, some trips you might have wanted to take and things like that. But uh, next summer. Yep, yep. Put it on the list for the, the bucket list for next year. <laughs> so a few headlines this week that I wanted to uh, tackle with you. Kevin Durant, the star of the Oklahoma City Thunder, MVP of the NBA, he has a $285 million deal on the table over 10 years, reportedly, from Under Armour. Now, Nike can match the deal or they risk losing one of their basketball faces to Under Armour, as I tweeted out this week, Griggs, that's a lot of money. You're talking about $28.5 million a year. Uh, Under Armour not known for selling shoes, not known for being a basketball company. They're more known for their apparel. This is a huge risk, and I don't know anyone not named Michael Jordan or Tiger Woods, and this includes LeBron James, that can sell $28.5 million worth of apparel and shoes a year to make that a good investment. Yeah, when I saw that story, I was just like, I thought it was a typo. I'm like, that is an insane amount of money. And then a 10-year contract, I mean, that's a long contract, too, especially for an NBA player. I mean, who knows? You, 10 years from now, who knows what Durant's going to be doing or if he's still playing. I mean, it's crazy how long of a contract that is and the money. And like you said, Under Armour, I think, you know, under football jerseys and, you know, spandex and things, you, you don't even see half the stuff they, they do because it's all underclothes type stuff. And 
they have great thing, great things, but basketball, that's kind of a weird match. I don't know. Well, Nike has tons of money, so if they wanted to, they could match this deal. If I were them and I looked at it just on a spreadsheet and as a business decision and will he sell $28.5 million worth of product to make it worth a good investment? No, I wouldn't do that. And I get the whole, hey, sometimes these guys don't match dollar for dollar the investment and it's more about their aura and you know people knowing they're in your stable of athletes and all that kind of stuff. But I just I don't think this is that deal. And if you look at Under Armour, they've had Tom Brady. I mean, they've had some marquee endorsers as part of their company. And yes, they're growing, but they're nowhere near where Nike is. They're nowhere near where Adidas is. And I don't know that Durant is the guy that's going to get them there. Frankly, I don't know if there's anyone that I can think of in the world today that would get them to where Nike is or even close that gap a little bit. So, you know, I get the fact that Durant's from uh, Baltimore and Under Armour's based in Maryland. And, you know, I get all of that. And I guess at some point you need to kind of have that flagship face. They've got Steph Curry, Under Armour does, but he's obviously not of the ilk of Kevin Durant. But boy, that is a lot of cheese to pay for uh, being relevant and closing that gap with Nike. Yeah, I agree with you, too. If I, if I saw it on paper as a spreadsheet business-wise, I don't think I'd make the deal just because, like you're saying, it just doesn't – that company doesn't have enough uh, behind it like a Nike does where people know the company so well and people are going to go out and buy the product. And uh, like I said, it still doesn't match with me for basketball either with the shoe because basketball is so much about shoes and, and more about shoes, I think, than anything. And I just don't see it with Under Armour. Well, here's a few backstories I'll share, too, since I used to do a lot of work with Nike one is there's a gentleman who used to work for the Jordan brand who now is running the basketball division for Under Armour. So a little bit of synergy there. There's a few ex Nike staffers that are now at Under Armour. Um, you know, Kevin Durant has had a very close relationship with some of the sports marketing people at Nike. So this isn't as easy of a decision as you would think. And it's really not even his decision anymore. It's up to Nike whether or not they want to match that amount. But, um, you know, it's interesting dynamic because he's had a good relationship with Nike. He really likes the sports marketing people that he works with. But now if you bring in Jay-Z, who's handling his marketing, Jay-Z doesn't get paid off of his Nike deal. Jay-Z only gets paid off of a new deal. So, of course, Jay-Z comes in, is working with Durant on all of his marketing. This is a phenomenal deal. I mean, my gosh, $285 million to wear apparel and shoes. That's unbelievable. So, you know, Jay-Z has done his job and now he'll get paid off of this deal. But if Jay-Z had just said, well, okay, we're going to let Durant ride out the Nike deal and he doesn't get paid. Agents don't get paid unless they negotiate a new contract with the team or a new endorsement deal. So Jay-Z's got incentive to get a new deal for Durant like he has. He's got two high bidders at the table with Under Armour and potentially Nike, let's move on to our next topic. I saw this one, Griggs, and I'm not sure I believe this story. No one from the NFL that I've read has come out and denied it, though. So that's why I look at it and I go, huh, interesting. There was a report this week that Katy Perry, Rihanna, and Coldplay are the three finalists to perform the halftime show at the upcoming Super Bowl in Arizona on February 1st of 2015. The report said they're being asked to pay to perform because the NFL feels like this is great exposure for the artist and they should pay to perform at the halftime Super Bowl. Two things. One is, if that's true, that is absolutely ridiculous. The NFL is a $9 billion business. If they want one of these artists to perform, they need to pay them. Two, last time I checked, Pepsi was the sponsor of the halftime show, and you would think – Part of the deal is, okay, Pepsi, you sponsor the halftime show. You're paying the artist as part of that deal. So the NFL probably not paying at all for this. It's probably Pepsi who's paying for this. What do you think of this story? Yeah, I read it too, and it was kind of uh, it was shocking to me as well because it just <laughs> there's too many things that don't make sense on it. I, I like how they broke it down. The story I read, I can't remember where it was, but uh, they broke it down by you know how much commercials cost for a 30 second ad. They're on stage for 12 minutes. It's a hundred million dollars revenue. So they have to be paying for it. It's like free pub, but not free anymore. So, yeah, it, it threw me for a loop. Um, I like the three finalists, though. I think Katy Perry and Rihanna would be awesome. I'm not a big Coldplay fan, but, uh, hey, the two ladies could get up there and sing. I'd, I'd be happy with that. Yeah, you and I have the same taste in music. I'm all for Katy Perry or Rihanna. Yeah. Uh, not so big a Coldplay fan. 
I think Katy Perry and Rihanna also with, you know, just the whole show. Bruno Mars put on a great show last year in addition to being a good singer, you know, dancing and, you know, that's what the Super Bowl halftime show has become. If you and I got up there and did dog tricks or something like that with our pets, no, that's not great exposure for the Super Bowl or for Pepsi. So, Katy Perry, Rihanna, they're bringing exposure. They're bringing their legion of fans. They're, you know, they do the press conference the week before. There's all the hype around it. I mean, these are mega, mega music stars. So if the NFL wants those stars to perform, I think they need to pay for it or Pepsi needs to pay for it. The artist shouldn't be paying to perform on this stage under the uh, assumption of, well, it's great exposure for you and your record. And your yeah, it is. It is great exposure. And they're smart to take advantage of the opportunity if they're selected. But to ask them to pay for it, to me, is ludicrous. Yeah, and I think it's one of the perks. These guys, like you said, they're mega stars. They've made it in the, in the business. Everybody in the world knows them. And this is kind of a benefit. I mean, they're chosen top three. The NFL wants them. Pepsi wants them. Obviously, they should be performing for people to see and not have to pay for it. It's just, it just, it's ludicrous. Doesn't the, make sense. The one thing I will say is, you know, ever since the whole Janet Jackson mishap and the mm-hmm. fine with CBS, the NFL has gone the way of being very conservative with their halftime acts. And, you know, I think Bruno Mars was probably one of the more uh, risky choices. And Katy Perry and Rihanna, if they get hired for this gig, the NFL is definitely need, you know, going to need to sit down with them and say, look, we're not having any mishaps like what happened with Janet Jackson. If there's a fine, you're paying it because, you know, those two artists are definitely on the cutting edge. I'm not going to say they're raunchy like Miley Cyrus, but they are uh, on the cutting edge. And I could see where one of them might say, hey, I'm going to make huge headlines and do something uh, that's going to draw lots of people's attention outside of my performance. And uh, I would be having that conversation if I were at the NFL. Yeah, I thought that too. When I saw Katie and Rihanna as two of the, the finalists, I'm like, oh, that could be pushing a little bit because they can definitely, uh, they can party on stage. Definitely. Yeah, especially <laughs> Rihanna. Yeah. All right. The last topic of the week that we'll cover in our opening segment here is the Little League World Series. This is always a fun event to watch. It takes you back to your childhood and you know, it's just, they're playing for the love of the game. I saw that one coach who gave a speech to his team after his team was eliminated and they were on the field and they were all crying. And the coach just gave such a great, compelling speech that how he's going to remember this experience with his team their whole life. Um, told him he loved them. That's what sports is about to me. At the very, very core of sports, you know, you love your teammates. You love playing for the passion of the game. If you strip all the money and the fame and the fortune away, would you still play the game? These kids are doing it for the love of the game. And the young female pitcher from Philadelphia who has stolen all of the headlines for the Little League World Series, very deservingly so, Monet Davis. And every time she's pitching now, it's a huge number for ESPN, and uh, when she pitched this past week, they got the best number they've ever gotten for airing a Little League World Series game, and it's just fun. You know, I have a daughter, so she loves playing sports. She likes playing golf and soccer and uh, very athletic, and when I see someone like Monet Davis up there, that's a role model for my daughter, and the fact that she's playing with the boys and she's mowing the boys down on the pitching mound, it's just a great story. It is a great story, and she's uh, she's very lovable and likable, and she's fun to watch, and, and you can tell the crowd and everybody's literally just watching that girl pitch. And it is fun seeing her out there with the guys and the, mixing it up, and a great role model for, for like you said, your daughter and the, and the young women out there. It's great. And I, I think ESPN does a great job on the coverage, too. I mean, it, it looks great. I love how they interview the kids. They have them on Sports Center. They got the parents and the brothers and sisters there. It's just a great event. It is fun to watch. And once it's one of the things when I sit down and start watching, I want I just get stuck to it. I keep wa- wanting to watch the next game and keep going. Well, and speaking of Monet Davis, uh, I believe she was on the cover of Sports Illustrated this past week. So she's made it to the big time, and I'm sure uh, her future is bright. Hey, if at some point you would think there would be uh, a female that may be able to break into the baseball ranks, and you know she's throwing 68, 70 miles an hour for a kid who's 5'4 and 105 pounds. So uh, who knows? Maybe she'll be the person 5, 10, 15 years from now that we'll be talking about as the first female baseball player in Major League Baseball. Last thing, I know I said that we didn't have any more, but Rob Manfred was named 
the commissioner-elect for Major League Baseball. We talked on our last show with Maury Brown about the three finalists. We said Rob Manfred was the heavy favorite. He ended up being elected commissioner. I think he's going to do a great job. This is very much, Griggs, like uh, David Stern passing the baton to Adam Silver. Silver worked closely with Stern for many years. Manfred has worked closely with Bud Selig for many years. This will be a seamless process. Manfred does have some big things on his radar, such as the new collective bargaining agreement in 2016. There's new TV rights deals coming up. Obviously, there's the performance-enhancing drug issue that continues to uh, hang over the heads of Major League Baseball teams. But uh, I think Manfred's a good choice, and uh, hopefully we'll get him on this show sometime in the future. Yeah, I think he is, and I think it's great for both the NBA and MLB moving forward with a new uh, commissioner. I think it's just going to give a whole new, fresh kind of look to the whole, uh, both of those um, official, you know, both of those sporting, whatever I'm trying to say, organizations. And I think uh, they're both talented. Obviously, they've come up in the ranks. They know the game. They know the business side of it. And I think it's going to be just a nice kind of a fresh new start for both those leagues. Yeah, I agree. We've seen what Adam Silver has done so far, how he handled the Donald Sterling situation. By the way, Steve Ballmer, that's official now, $2 billion. He is the owner of the L.A. Clippers. He had a rally this week. That guy's got some high, high energy. Uh, he's going to be fun to watch in L.A., especially in uh, comparison to the bus family. Now, you know, the buses have some real competition. I think for years they kind of just looked at Donald Sterling as a guy who didn't give them much competition, but... uh Steve Ballmer has a lot of resources and paid $2 billion for this team. He's going to want some uh, hardware and some rings to go along with that investment. All right, coming up next, Craig Pintons. He is the Associate Athletic Director at the University of Oregon. We know the Ducks are always innovative, whether it's with their uniforms. They've got a social media hub called the Quack Cave. Uh, they're doing a lot of work with our friends at Pistano to remain on the cutting edge of social and digital. We'll talk to Craig Pintons coming up next. And then it's Ross Greenberg, award-winning producer who spent 33 years at HBO. He's won 51 Emmy Awards. He's coming up later on today's show. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Stay in the know at sportsbusinessradio.com. Podcasts, blogs, and more powered by Postano. SBR will be right back. Hi, it's Brian Berger. Here at Sports Business Radio, we are proud to work with our partners, Pastano. They make a sports-proven visual marketing platform that I've personally been amazed to see. Teams like the Dallas Cowboys, Boston Red Sox, LA Kings, and Cleveland Cavaliers all use Pastano to engage their fans. When sports teams and fans tell their stories together, amazing things can happen. Every fan has a story. Whether you want to put selfies on the Jumbotron, create a dynamic social media command center, or activate a hashtag campaign on your website, Pistano can design an amazing social experience true to your brand. Even better, using the Pistano platform can pay for itself through selling sponsorships. As an example, the Kings sell sponsor space to Toyota and other clients and run the ads using Pistano. Want to see what your team's social content could look like? Schedule a demo today. Go to pistano.com slash sports. If you're a fan of this podcast, you understand the real power of engaging your fans. And these guys get it. That is P-O-S-T-A-N-O dot com. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. My guest is Craig Pittens. He is the Senior Associate Athletic Director. He also handles marketing and PR for the University of Oregon, the Oregon Ducks. You can find him on Twitter at UO Pittens. Craig, thanks for joining us on Sports Business Radio. Well, thanks for having me on, Brian. appreciate it. Always good to catch up with the Ducks. You guys are seen as such an innovative athletic department dating back to 2001 when you did the Heisman Trophy campaign billboard in Times Square with Joey Harrington. Obviously, people talk about the many uniform combinations for the football team, the state-of-the-art facilities. Is innovation a core brand adjective in the athletic department at the University of Oregon? Absolutely, it is. You know, I think that the two brand principles that we kind of live by are innovation and fun. And if you really think about it, our brand has, has really largely been created by Nike. We owe a lot of our success to what they've been able to do and the great partner that they've been in collaborating on everything that, that we've done. And if you think about it, it makes a lot of sense. You know, the, the birthplace of Nike was right here on the campus at the University of Oregon. And going to Nike, if you think about their brand, uh, their brand is all about innovation and 
and I would argue fun as well. And, and so we've kind of taken those brand principles and we share them uh, with Nike and it's really made us who we are. You've always worked closely with Nike, but it seems to me, you know, we really started hearing about the innovation and the different uniforms in the early 2000s. Would you agree with that? And I guess, why was there not more collaboration between Nike and the University of Oregon before then? Well, that's really when the, you know, the the commitment stepped up here. If, If you think back to the Joey Heisman campaign, which was in 2001, and that really was kind of the beginning of a a new era. It kind of was in your face. Hey, we're here. We're Oregon. We're here. We're bold. We're going to be a little bit different. And at first, the uniforms and even the Heisman campaign for Joey Harrington were kind of laughed at. They were scoffed at by a lot of people, but continued to to press ahead. And and now anything we do uh, just kind of has that luster to it because we've achieved kind of that uh, brand status that I think everybody is looking for. Yeah, I mean, it's so interesting to me based in, you know, little Eugene, Oregon. Oregon has become a national brand and you are seen as the leaders in innovation. And, you know, usually if something's coming out first, whether it's a technology from Nike or a uniform or just creative thinking, it seems to come from your campus. Well, it is something we pride ourselves on. You know, we, we do want to be first. We want to be willing to take a risk and try something. And, and I think that's probably the, the key uh, example in all this is the fact that we are willing to take that risk. There's not a lot of schools that would have been willing to wear a pink helmet. Sure, huh. they would wear decals. Uh, they might, you know, wear pink gloves or a pink towel. But to wear an actual pink helmet, that was something that initiated with our players. And there's probably only a couple schools in the country that would even be willing to try that. But when the University of Oregon does it, uh, it's viewed a little bit differently, and it's just a great position to to be in as a brand. I'm fortunate to have this uh, job here to that that uh, works closely with our brand. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We're joined by Craig Penton. He is the Senior Associate Athletic Director for Marketing and PR for the Oregon Ducks. Let's talk about social media. That's something else that a lot of fans want to engage in when they attend live events. There's the struggle across sports. How do you engage fans, get them off the couch, get them to the venue? And you're working with our friends at Pistano who do such a great job at capturing those conversations. How did you... Uh, meet Pistano. How did that relationship start? Well, it, first of all, the, the guys at Pistano and, and the gals at Pistano are amazing. They've done uh, some great things with us. And really, it kind of started with a phone call, a blind vendor phone call. And uh, I might be really stupid, but I, I'll take any call. And so I guess if vendors are listening, feel free to call me. But I'll take any call, return any call. So got a call from Pistano, set up a demo, and probably about 10 minutes in, realized that this is something that we needed to do. And as their business has kind of grown, you know, originally it was kind of a, a platform that we would use uh, to monitor. It, it really has expanded to in-venue, and we're excited to try to uh, implement some things inside Autzen Stadium, inside our new Hatfield Dowling Complex, which is our, our football building, which has received a lot of acclaim. We're working with them on some pretty cool things for the upcoming season, and a lot of that depends on connectivity. You have to have connectivity in your venues before you really try to pull something like that off. Because if you if you are encouraging fans to tweet and to Instagram and uh, Facebook or whatever it might be that you want to display, you better make sure that you have connectivity first. And so we're addressing that first. And then as soon as we have that, we're, we're going to partner with Postano to do some really awesome things inside Austin Stadium. What are some of the unique features and services that you think differentiate Postano from some of the other social aggregators that are out there? Well, there's a, obviously there's a lot of uh, competition, and it's a space where you're going to get a, a call from a vendor just about every week uh, about the latest and greatest and how they can make your social media better. But the one thing that differentiates Postano than other people is the fact that their customer service and attention to detail and listening to uh, their customer is is unparalleled because what they've been able to do uh, when we first started working with them, you know, we had probably, unfortunately, because we are always trying to push the envelope here at the University of Oregon, we probably had about a list of seven or eight things that we said, hey, can it do this? And within probably a couple of weeks, they said, yeah, we can do about six of those. And the other one we can we can get developing on. And, and that's a really unique thing uh, that you don't get out of a lot of companies. You guys have the award-winning Quack Cave. Tell our listeners who may not be familiar with what goes on in the Quack Cave about what you do there. 
Sure. So the, the Quack Cave was a, uh, College Athletics' first social media command center. And so we launched that uh, a couple years ago in August. And uh, what we do, it's completely manned by students. So we have about 20 uh, students on our roster, not all at the same time, but a couple of them are there during business hours and then on football game days. And they kind of check everything that's out there and then repurpose a lot of it to our fans. So the Quack, the Quack Cave actually has a Twitter account, so it's actually Quack Cave. Uh, but what happens in the Quack Cave is just a lot of monitoring and checking out and, and making sure that our brand is being positioned uh, where, where we want it. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, we do the Sports PR Summit, as I know you know, and we do it in the MLB Fan Cave in New York, and it's a similar model, and Pistano uh, helped us with our social aggregation this past May. We were actually trending on Twitter at one point to show you the power of Pistano, but, uh, you know, it's interesting that more and more sports type of organizations are seeing the power of aggregating that social conversation and creating more conversation about their team or venue or whatever happens to be going on. Well, you're exactly right. The, the biggest thing that fans really like is a connection with your brand. And you can provide that a lot of times through social media, particularly just by responding to somebody or favoriting a, a tweet or retweeting or answering a question they have on Facebook or answering a question they have on Instagram. Engaging with fans is so important because it's difficult in this day and age. Everybody's fighting for revenue. And I think a lot of people are quick to try to find ways to monetize social media. And if you're trying to do that, it's probably not the right thing to do. What you really need to focus on is that long-term investment in your fans. And you can do that through a lot of times through social media. And there will be a long-term ROI associated with that because you answer a fan's question and now they feel positive about your brand. Well, guess what? A, a fan that feels positive about your brand, they're going to purchase more. What are a few of this year's initiatives for the University of Oregon with social media? Well, I think we, we, we just want to continue to get better. We want to make sure that we're engaging as much as we possibly can with our, with our fans. Uh, we want to get a little bit better at analytics, so we want to make sure we're monitoring and figuring out what's effective. Uh, what are we good at? What gets the best response? What does engage our fans? And and those are the things that we're going to be focused on, and certainly uh, Postano and, and anything else that we try uh, is going to make sure that the, the fans are first. Two of the greatest social initiatives I've seen in the last, I'd say, two years. One, Bat Kid with Make a Wish yeah. in San Francisco, and ongoing right now, this ALS Ice Bucket Challenge has become such a phenomena. Are people like you sitting around going, "Okay, what do we do in that realm to create that kind of conversation on social media?" Well, I think those kind of things happen. Uh, you know, even going back a, a step further. Gangnam style, the Gangnam style right. video. Yeah. Um, you know, we we were actually one of the first schools to jump in on that. We we saw the the Gangnam style video probably when it was at about 10 million views or so and we're like, "Man, that would be pretty cool to do." And and so we we contacted our mascot and said, "Hey, is this something you guys could pull off?" And I said, "Absolutely." And so they went out and shot a Gangnam style video and it was one of the one of the first parody ones of it. And I think you have to try to find those opportunities, but you also you have to do it in a timely manner. Certainly the ALS Bucket Challenge and, and Back Kid were just really overpowering in the fact that what they represented and what their right. the, the power of that. Gangnam Style is more of just a fun thing, but what has happened through the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge and and even Back Kid just shows the, the power of, of social in terms of just the human spirit and, and what you can do to, to help other people. A few more minutes left with Craig Pintons. He is the Senior Associate AD with marketing and PR for the University of Oregon Ducks. You can find him on Twitter at UO Pintons. So the Jacksonville Jaguars we've seen now at the new Levi Stadium in the Bay Area, they've got social media lounges. A lot of people have fantasy football teams. People just want to have social conversation during a sporting event. Can we look for that from you guys at some point? Uh, yeah, so I think the 49ers, we're excited. We're actually playing the first college football game down there. Uh, in, it's great. Uh, I've heard it's a great Cal. stadium. It's supposed to be amazing. We're really looking forward to it. Got a tour of it last year when they were still building it. 
and talk to, to the 49ers a lot about some of the innovations they have. And that's a pretty amazing thing. You know, I think there's a fine line. You have to find that line because part of the the thing at a game is you want fans to be engaged in the game as well. You right. don't want to have them buried in their device. Uh, now, for some fans, maybe that is a something that they want to be doing, but you know, we really want to find a way to create a unique experience that they can't get on their couch because that's what we're competing against. With all the games on television now, we are competing against the fact that you can sit on your couch, you've got unlimited access to your bathroom, you probably have a lot cheaper beverages in your fridge that you can <laughs> you can just get, uh, and your your couch is pretty comfortable, and your TV is probably pretty good. So that's what we're competing against. And a lot of those people that are sitting on their couch Certainly, they do have that device in their lap as well. So we have to find something that is at the stadium in the fan experience that is unique to that actual fan. And, and every fan's a little bit different. So if that means that we have to find ways for them to connect socially during the game, we're going to do it. But the fan experience is so much bigger than social. I think so many people focus on in-game apps and everything else. But the fan experience is more about when you call to purchase a ticket, how did that person treat you on the phone? When you went to park that day, were you able to get into the lot? Was the line in the bathroom uh, short? And did you have enough toilet paper stocked up? Right. Those, are, those are important things that I think sometimes people lose focus on because there's so much attention on we got to create the world's greatest app at the stadium. Well, I've seen Pistano's work at our event, the Sports PR Summit. I've seen their work with the Boston Red Sox, the LA Kings, the Dallas Cowboys, the Cleveland Cavaliers, and I'm very excited to see uh, closer to home what they're able to do with the University of Oregon and with everyone down in Eugene. Craig, I appreciate you taking time to join us on Sports Business Radio. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate the, the opportunity. All right, take care. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Stay in the know at sportsbusinessradio.com. Podcasts, blogs, and more powered by Postano. SBR will be right back. Green and yellow, green and yellow, green and yellow, green and yellow. I put it down, representing for my team. I'm in green and yellow, green and yellow, green and yellow. Hi, it's Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm not on the radio, I team with nationally known sports writer and broadcaster Rick Buecher former Nike PR senior executive Lee Weinstein, and veteran strategic communications executive John Lashway to form media and social media training firm Everything is on the Record. The Everything is on the Record team provides a unique blend of strategic PR and journalism expertise to our clients. We have worked in the trenches in corporate boardrooms with CEOs and company spokespeople. We've also worked in newsrooms alongside editors and reporters. Everything is on the Record uses an innovative and unique approach to media training. Through the use of current media and social media examples tailored specifically for you, we prepare you for how best to relate to the digital media world that exists today. Whether you're meeting with a reporter, sitting at your home computer, or typing on your smartphone, you're on the record. We'll also put you through real-life scenarios where you'd be dealing with a reporter so when you see the real thing, you'll be well-prepared and comfortable. With the goal of enhancing your image, protecting your reputation, and helping you connect with the people who are most important to your brand, we will show you how to develop the skills you need to be successful in a world where everyone has a camera, a recorder, and a desire to make news. For more information on our services and to learn more about our team of communications all-stars, go online to everythingisontherecord.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at everythingisontherecord.com. You can call us today at 503-701-2215. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. My guest is Ross Greenberg. He had a 33-year career at HBO. He's won 85 major TV awards over the course of his career. You can learn more about him at rossgreenbergproductions.com. Ross, thanks for joining us on Sports Business Radio. Great to be with you, Brian. So on your website, there's a statement, and it says, Storytelling is my passion, and television is the medium I use to deliver my art form. What's the recipe for a compelling story, in your opinion? Well, it's a story that has a lot of subplots to it. You, you can't just throw out a an event, a sporting event, or one individual if there's not deeper meaning to the subject matter it has to have some sociological political you know and emotional kinds of uh, facets to it and that's why the toughest thing for me honestly Brian is to pick 
the subject matter because, you know, I know it when I see it, but uh, there's so many times when I'll look through, you know, and take a look at a certain subject and see that it just is one-dimensional and only has one angle to it. And that, that just won't fly for me. Um, a gripping story has to have the human drama within it. It has to have, you know, the right characters, the right twists and turns of a storyline. Uh, and, and so once I see it, I know it, and Forgotten Four was obviously one of those cases. Yeah, let's talk about Forgotten Four. I, I watched it. I had an advanced copy. I really enjoyed it. You know, I've got to say, I'm probably one of the people that didn't know the story of Kenny Washington and Woody Strode and Marion Motley and Bill Willis and the story that they went through and basically that they broke the color barrier in pro football in 1946, the year before Jackie Robinson. We always hear about Jackie Robinson. I hadn't heard these stories before. I thought it was fascinating. Well, that's precisely why I decided to do it. Um, you know, at first, many years ago, my brother and a gentleman, Michael Greenberg and a gentleman, Michael Fuchs, who used to run HBO, they came across uh, the story of Fritz Pollard, who I knew well because he had gone to my alma mater, Brown. And through his eyes, we, we started to look at the story of the African-American playing football. Um, Fritz Pollard was interesting because in 1920, when the NFL was formed, he was not only a player but a coach, head coach, as an African-American, which is astounding. Then in 1933, as I learned from diving into that story, uh, there was a blacklist, and, and owners got together in the National Football League, led by George Preston Marshall, to make sure that African-Americans weren't going to be on the football field any longer. And then in 1946, I found out through Wes Smith, who came into my office, or we met for a meeting through a guy named Steve Hartman, and lo and behold, there we were sitting, and Wes told me about a, a cross-country type trip he took with Bill Willis and his family, uh, in the mid 2000s and um and you know he got to know Bill Willis and I really didn't really focus on the four uh until that moment and when I realized that they had broken the color barrier in 1946 a year ahead of Jackie Robinson I almost had to pick myself up from the floor having fallen off the chair and I realized right then and there this was our story and through these gentlemen and and obviously their heirs and descendants uh, we would tell the story of, of how they integrated pro football in 1946. How difficult was it to find the heirs and descendants and people who uh, had a front row seat to all of this back in 1946? Well, it wasn't that easy, but we, we dug hard and had some great work from you know our associate producer, Ben Warhead, Johnson McKelvey, who I reeled in as a producer who's one of the best in the business, and we forged our first partnership in making this documentary and enjoyed every second of it. But it took a lot of hard research to find, you know, the Jim Hardys and, and uh, George Talaferros and the Don Shulas. I had to make a personal call to Don Shula, who played interestingly for Paul Brown's Cleveland Browns in the early 50s and played with Motley and Willis. So, you know, over time, you just kind of gather all these men, many of them into their 90s. Uh, and uh, Bob Gain was a superstar in the film. And then you gather great, you know, minds, historians, um, Jared Bell and Khalil Muhammad, you know, Lonnie Bunch, and, and you kind of magically bring the story to life. I'll tell you what I was impressed with uh, the most, in addition to everything you just mentioned, is the old football footage that you used mm -hmm. in the film from the UCLA games, and, and just some of the historic footage. When you're producing a documentary where you need historic footage, where do you look for the footage and how hard is it to find? It's hard. Uh, in this case, you know, we did have the, the wonderful archives of NFL films, and they had plenty. So mm. we were able to dive into my friend's archives down in NFL films and got great cooperation from the NFL in general, as you know. Um, but, you know, we knew that the story took its hold in the Midwest in Ohio, so we went to high schools and, and different local affiliates there to dig up footage. We went out to UCLA, as you mentioned, and they happened to have a wonderful archive, um, so we were able to do that. Uh, and so at the end of the day, you know, we could gather everything, and, and uh, lo and behold, 
you know, everything started streaming in, and and we were able to present Jackie Robinson, who was in the backfield with Woody Strode and Kenny Washington at UCLA, and we had some magical footage that people have never seen before. My guest is Ross Greenberg. He had a 33-year career at HBO. He's won 85 major TV awards over the course of his career. You can learn more about him at rossgreenbergproductions.com. You were instrumental in launching HBO's 24-7 series, Hard Knocks. I'm a big fan of those types of shows that take viewers behind the scenes to kind of witness the uh, interactions in the sports world. How much access are teams or entities willing to give for shows like these? More and more. I mean, I've worked very closely with the NHL uh, since the 24-7 we did at HBO, and now I'm developing new series with them. We did NHL Revealed last year, and it's been a great breakthrough. The NHL is, is mimicking everything that the NFL has done over the years, and and John Collins is leading a great crew there to, to kind of get the owners, manage, general managers, and coaches to kind of take hold of this idea and, and allow people in because the behind the scenes of professional sports is something the fan just can't get enough of and wants to see. And there's so many compelling stories, such high drama, um, particularly in the regular season, which we've been able to do with the NHL. Um, right now I'm, you know, launching in about a week, uh, Jason Bowers and, and, uh, and Josh, uh, Glazer, are heading up the team that does Showtime's reality shows with the great Floyd Mayweather, and he has a fight coming up against Marcos Maidana, and we have four, three shows and one afterwards, you know, looking at that particular fight. And, you know, it just is a nonstop kind of wonderment as to how we get in inside and, and are allowed the access. But I think in the modern world, you know, leagues and teams and players and coaches know that this is a very important part of selling and merchandising and marketing uh, the, the, pro pro, the pro product. So uh, we're having no trouble getting inside. So GMs, coaches, there's no restrictions placed on where cameras can be. Like what's that conversation like up front before the season starts as far as where you can go and what you can capture and what you're off limits? Well, I mean, you can't give away trade secrets. You can't give away the secret sauce or how they make their potion. So, you know, there are going to be some trick plays that you're not going to be able to shoot. There's going to be some meetings that you're not going to be able to get into. But for the most part, uh, it's pretty wide open. Um, it depends on the league and the team, obviously. There are certain teams and coaches that, you know, don't really appreciate this kind of work. But uh, But for the most part... You'd be surprised. I mean, uh, there aren't that many trade secrets, and there's a lot of good quality, high drama that that's captured, you know, uh, apart from those trade secrets. So we have a lot of fun. The players allow us into their homes a lot. They allow us, you know, great access to them and their families. And to better understand that they're just like you and me, they happen to be really good professional athletes at their craft. So. But they have, you know, in Dustin Brown's case last year when we were following him, ended up with another Stanley Cup under his belt. But, you know, we were at home with him and his wonderful wife and four young, very young children who uh, run around like maniacs and and keep him sleep-deprived when he's uh, not on the ice. So it was fun. You always seem to hone in on the three or four storylines, the three or four athletes that have – interesting stories to tell is that more about they're giving you the access or what is kind of the radar that goes off in your mind that says okay this player is going to make for an interesting story well i mean when we found out that kyle oposo of the new york islanders was going to have a baby uh, early in the season last year and we were set up to do this nhl revealed series we knew that if we could get access to kyle and his wife and as they, you know, had the birth of their first child, that it would be very dramatic television, particularly during the season. So, you know, with the help of the Islanders, you have to get their cooperation. And, of course, Kyle and his family, then we could go in and and explore that drama and see, you know, how a, a professional athlete deals with that in the middle of a season. And, and that's exactly what happened. Um, you know, we were there at the hospital. We were there as he left for the hospital with his wife. And... And it was uh, unbelievable to be part of that experience and to share it with him. 
um, and documented for him forever, by the way. So now he has it all, yeah. you know, on videotape. So, so it's kind of exciting, uh, or digitally. Um, it's kind of exciting to do that for guys. And, um, you know, that's typical of knowing a story when you see it. I mean, that's really the key here. And that can happen in the locker room as well. If a team is on a slide, you know, and you've got a coach that's reaching his wit's end, um, you know, we were there when Tortorella was losing it a little in Vancouver last year and ultimately had, you know, was let go, uh, in his suspension and, and ultimately let go from the franchise. So, I mean, we were there and we were witnessing it up close and giving the viewer a chance to witness it up close. That's important stuff. Um, we're right in the trenches with Floyd Mayweather right now, you know, and, uh, as he deals with a tough rematch and, it's fascinating to, you know, be back at it with him and, and see how he maneuvers his uh, 38-year-old body into another fight. You spent a lot of time with him. Tell us something about Floyd Mayweather that people may not know. Big heart. Um, you know, big heart for not only his family, but, you know, gives me a big smile and a hug when I see him. I mean, we go back all the way to the late 90s and... I don't know. He's just, uh, you know, he's got the image of brashness and and all of that, and throwing around money and and all and everything. But he's got a big heart, and he's uh, he's a good person. Um, yes, does he make mistakes? You bet. I mean, he's made some horrible mistakes. He said some things he shouldn't have said, and he's done some things he shouldn't have done. Um, but uh, but on the whole, you know, he's he lives very clean. Uh, you know, never drank, smoked, nothing, um, and and leaves a very clean life now, and has really turned the corner since he had this little prison visit, and uh, and really understand what's important, what is important in his life. I grew up in the days of Muhammad Ali and Sugar Ray Leonard, and the glory days of boxing, and remember those fights fondly. Floyd Mayweather, obviously the face of boxing right now. He's 38 years old, as you just mentioned. When he retires one day, what's the future of boxing? Not great. Uh, you know, I, I think uh, it's lost its mainstream. I grew up like you with Ali, and then, of course, I I was in the truck producing most of the Leonard Duran, Hagler, Hearns, Tyson. Great fights. Know, Holmes, glory days of boxing fights, um, prior Aguayo to name a few. So, you know, we're never going to, I shouldn't say never, but the sport has gone in cycles in the past, but the eighties were, uh, the wonder years. And I, I just, I haven't seen it come back. Um, you know, Mayweather Pacquiao, I tried to make it twice when I was at HBO, couldn't get it done. Hopefully someday in the near future that does get done. But, um, I don't know. It's just something's missing. And I, you know, it's become a very niche sport. Um, it's an aging sport, and uh, it has some trouble. A few minutes left with award-winning producer Ross Greenberg. TV rights fees continue to skyrocket. You see these leagues making multi-billion-dollar deals, and they seem to increase every time the sides come to the bargaining table. Why are TV entities willing to pay so much money for live sports? Uh, I I go to one particular interesting phenomenon, and that is that live sports are not affected by the DVR. And what I mean by that is the business model of television today is that if you want to attract advertisers to your content, then you need it to be live and you need it to have that intense drama and the community has to come to the television set as a whole. Sports accomplishes all of that. Um, you know, you can watch Orange is the New Black, you know, in seven nights without seeing a commercial. Um, you can watch pretty much any series you want when you want to watch it and zap through commercials. So the reality is that the media companies know that sports, whether it's NFL football, the NBA, Major League Baseball, the NHL, all of those great franchises, you know, enable you to protect your product because you're going to force the public to see the stuff live because on a DVR it doesn't have half the drama if you know the result. 
So if you're not going to watch it on a DVR, then you're going to do what? You're going to watch commercials. So it just saves the business model um, for television. And, uh, and that's why, you know, advertisers are pouring all their money into sports. Um, and that's why the media companies know that that's where the value is from now through the future um, in maintaining the, the status quo with their product. So that's exactly why this is happening. And that's also why the franchises are going for so much money, billions of dollars. We seem to see innovations, technological innovations, every year when we see a new season of a league, whether it's the NFL, the NBA, the NHL. You're on the cutting edge of television. Can you tell us, like, hey, what's coming down the pipeline as far as the future of sports on TV? Well, I think you'll you'll see more and more interactivity where there's a third screen where you're able to watch the game and also sit with your laptop on your lap and and get kind of multiple stats, multiple angles maybe of of uh, slow motion replay, blah, blah, blah. And all of that will take place. But, you know, the thing that scares me the most is that it's a medium that still uh, should concentrate on what the storylines and subplots are of a game on the field. And the director in the truck, the magical directors that live in our world of sports television, should have an uncanny ability of of knowing when to take that sideline shot of a you know of um a Peyton Manning who's just thrown the interception to you know to lose the football game or which rarely happens but um <laughs> and and that's important you know i i just worry that with all this technological advancement and all the multiple ways people can access you know uh the game uh, through third screens, fourth screens, fifth screens, mobiles, that we don't lose sight of the, the basic structure of story within a game. And that's something that, you know, I was taught by the great Rune Arledge and guys like Chet Forty and, you know, Chuck Howard and some of the greats at ABC Sports. And I think we carried that through, you know, at HBO with our coverage of live sports, whether it's Wimbledon or boxing in those years. And and today I'm trying to instill some of that with, uh, you know, the Showtime folks and, and others um, who I work with. And I, I just, that's that's the only thing that scares me, you know, that announcers pay attention to little storylines and tidbits um, amongst players and, and understand that whenever they broadcast a game, you know, they're the, they're the conduit from story on the field directly to the announcer, I mean to the viewer at home. And, uh, you know, that's the chilling drama of sports, um, whether it's coming from the mouth of Jim McKay in the 70s, 80s, or it's coming from Jim Nance or, uh, you know, Bob Costas today. So I just hope we never lose sight of that. No, I agree. Is there one project that you've worked on, so many projects over the years, is there one that you uh, really remember more fondly than others? Well, I mean, the two movies that I made, one '61 and then uh, Miracle, um, were amazing experiences um, to take those rich stories and translate them to theatrical, you know, films. One on HBO and one did go through Disney theatrically. I think that those were my proudest moments because uh, there's something about the magic of doing a movie. Um, it's a little different than what I had done, you know, documentaries, reality shows, live sports. So those will always have a special place in my heart. But there have also been a lot of docus that have touched my heart, whether it's when it was a game that started the whole thing rolling and um, nine innings from ground zero about the 2001 Yankee mm, that was World a great Series. Yeah. yeah, which was a which was a real emotional one for me. Um, and then, to be honest, I might be as proud of this one, Forgotten Four, as anything I've ever done. Um, it's really special. It's a story that no one knows. And it's, you know, I always know if a film is good, if every time I see it in all the rough cut forms that I see it in, you know, the 20 times I see it, if I start crying at the end and I kid all the staff, then I know it's it's pretty good. And I cried through this whole film. Wow. Uh, I was a huge fan of your uh, Bird Magic documentary. Again, yeah. I grew up in the 80s and 
you know, watch them so closely. And I thought you did a fantastic job pulling that together. So yeah, uh, I mean, that was definitely a top fiver. There's no question. And the reaction to that film has been as magical as anything I've ever done. I mean, that was special. And you know, you know, Magic loved it. Larry loved it. That's what's always most important when the subjects kind of look at you and go, wow, thanks, you know? All right, The Forgotten Four, it's an epics documentary. How can people watch it? When does it come out? Give us the details. September 23rd, 8 p.m., Epics is a pay television network. If you have Verizon, Time Warner Cable, you probably have it. You may not even know it. So, uh, you know, it just sits there in that pay television uh, area and look for it. Um, it's a fast-growing pay television network that's on the cusp of some really exciting programming, and I think Forgotten Four is a big event for them. So uh, look forward to getting it out there, September 23rd. Well, I thoroughly enjoyed the preview copy. I thought you did a fantastic job. Again, the interviews, the historic footage, just the story that I think hasn't been told before. Uh, you did a, a really remarkable job with it. Ross Greenberg, who had a 33-year career at HBO. He's won 85 major TV awards. Learn more about him at RossGreenbergProductions.com. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. I appreciate you Thank taking you. the time. Thanks very much, Brian. Thank you. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Stay in the know at sportsbusinessradio.com. Podcasts, blogs, and more powered by Postano. SBR will be right back. Hello, my name is Sophia Berger. I want to tell you about the Pixie Project. The Pixie Project matches pets to the right people. The Pixie Project takes pride in finding matches for both people and animals. The Pixie Project also offers low-cost veterinary assistance. My family worked with the Pixie Project to adopt our lovable puppy, Scotty. He's a great addition to our family. So if you get a dog or cat, kitten, or puppy, you should go to the Pixie Project. To learn more about the Pixie Project, visit them at www.pixieproject.org. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. We are back, and that is it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. I want to thank our guests, Craig Pintons, the Associate AD at the University of Oregon, Ross Greenberg, award-winning producer who spent 33 years at HBO. He's won 51 Emmy Awards. What a fascinating conversation with him about sports on TV. Really enjoyed our conversation. Uh, I want to thank our executive producer, Brian Griggs, Josh Blank, Doug Zanger. Thanks to our friends at Pastano for powering sports business radio. You can follow them online at Pastano. That's P-O-S-T-A-N-O.com or on Twitter at Pastano, P-O-S-T-A-N-O. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast. Every episode, just go to iTunes and type in sports business radio or one of the top ranked business news podcasts on iTunes. You can also Find the link to the iTunes podcast on our website at sportsbusinessradio.com. We are on apps like TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, the Swell app. So many, many platforms to get our show every week when we do a show. You can follow me on Twitter at SB Radio. I want to give you one more reminder to vote for our panel with Pistano at South by Southwest Sports in Austin, Texas. Next March, I'd be moderating a panel that includes executives from the Boston Red Sox, the LA Kings, and the Cleveland Cavaliers. To vote for that panel, go to panelpicker.sxsw for southbysouthwest.com. Panelpicker.sxsw.com. You can just type in Pistano, and our panel will come up. It'd be great to uh, be there. My friend Rebecca Pfefferman does a great job running South by Southwest Sports. She was at my event, the Sports PR Summit, this past May. We've struck up a nice relationship, and I look forward to attending her event in Austin, Texas, next March. Again, follow me on Twitter at SB Radio. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio.
Hi, it's Brian Berger. Here at Sports Business Radio, we are proud to work with our partners, Pastano. They make a sports-proven visual marketing platform that I've personally been amazed to see. Teams like the Dallas Cowboys, Boston Red Sox, LA Kings, and Cleveland Cavaliers all use Pastano to engage their fans. When sports teams and fans tell their stories together, amazing things can happen. Every fan has a story. Whether you want to put selfies on the Jumbotron, create a dynamic social media command center, or activate a hashtag campaign on your website, Pastano can design an amazing social experience true to your brand. Even better, using the Pastano platform can pay for itself through selling sponsorships. As an example, the Kings sell sponsor space to Toyota and other clients and run the ads using Pastano. Want to see what your team's social content could look like? Schedule a demo today. Go to pastano.com slash sports. If you're a fan of this podcast, you understand the real power of engaging your fans. And these guys get it. That is P-O-S-T-A-N-O dot com.